Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Anchor. How, we doing good? You guys have been like clapping a lot already. That's a sign that there's life in the building on Labor Day weekend. Come on. Uh, so we're doing good? I'm looking, all right, that's what I'm, I just like that type, you know, the interaction. We're in this teaching series called Fourfold, and I'm going to just start reading the passage and we'll go from there. Good? Sound good? All right, the verbal interaction again, fantastic. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. It's a long one, so buckle up, settle in. If you have a Bible, you can open that up to Matthew chapter 8. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen, and it goes like this. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever and he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. There is no one in history like Jesus. Uh, It might be obvious to a room full of people that come to church on Labor Day weekend, but let me just say this again. There's no one in history like Jesus. He's been the subject of more books, more than anyone else, and more than any of us could imagine. You could put a thousand libraries together, and you would not have space for all the books that are written about Jesus, books that have tried to theologically understand him, invite people into relationship with him, or probe through history to explain using historical understanding or whatever, all the books that have been written about him alone, but then there's the painting all of the art 
Nearly every continent and every culture has composed a painting of Jesus and all of them reflect the culture and ethnicity from which they're painted. It's kind of fascinating. To the Europeans, Jesus looks like a European. To the Chinese or the Japanese, the composed paintings often look, but it's actually kind of beautiful as it reflects really this desire to know Jesus in this way that is familiar. But this is just beside the point because there are just stacks and stacks and stacks of paintings painted about Jesus more than anyone else in history. There are more songs that have been composed to and sung to Jesus than anyone else and poems that have been written to him. There is not enough iCloud data space to hold all of that. You're going to be looking at like, do, would you like to enlarge your data plan? There's just not enough space. It's not even like a debate if you aren't a believer in Jesus, that Jesus is the most important person in history. It is not even a debate. It's an established fact that Jesus has had the largest impact on history than more than anyone else. So I love that we're doing this teaching series fourfold. Because in this teaching series, we're looking at like these windows into the way of Jesus and seeking to understand this person who is unrivaled, who is, who is more significant than anyone else that is unmatched. We're trying to look into it with these four different ways. Since we looked at last week or a couple weeks ago, Jesus as our savior, that, that Jesus is the one that offers rescue from the pit and that he's our sanctifier, meaning that when we walk with Jesus, he brings us into not only a relationship with him, but we grow in his likeness. And so when the world sees us, they see what Jesus would look like if he were us. And this is this work of sanctification, another window into understanding Jesus. And next week, we're going to be looking at Jesus as the coming king. It will be interesting. Save your seats. Order online now. It will be fun. Could Jesus as the coming king next week. But today, we're talking about Jesus the healer. Jesus the healer. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I didn't grow up with kind of like a lot of exposure to the church. And so like early on, like before, like the last little bit of my experience at high school, my exposure to like Jesus and healing and, and church largely was through like when I was like sick and I was at home and I was like scrolling through the channels and I somehow landed on TBN, you know, and all of a sudden I see big hair, golden chairs and donate now and these dramatic healings. I don't know about you, but maybe that was my exposure to this kind of world of healing and church and Jesus when I was an early teen. And if I can be, can I be honest? I'm looking for actual invitation here. Can I be honest? Like I remember it as kind of almost like comparable to an SNL sketch. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like these just like, how do you get that purple tint in your large hair? I don't know how you do that. And like, who makes golden chairs like that? Where did you buy those chairs? I'm not interested in procuring them, but I'm just fascinated that they exist, you know? It looked like this foreign world. 
that I had no exposure to, and honestly, I was left kind of like sneering and deriding it. Now, I say that a little bit hesitantly, one, because I know some of us might have had that experience growing up in churches like that, but two, like I sit here now as a person who believes that Jesus still heals. Some of us maybe grew up in churches where like healing was talked about and healings actually happened and we saw them and they were to be desired and sought after and, and, and maybe at a certain point it became a little theologically confusing as, as some people got healed but other people didn't get healed and how come they didn't happen all in the way that we would want them to happen? And sometimes we even temper down our faith because of life not matching what our hopes have been. And so I know that sometimes some of that, us in the room, kind of were maybe have had this kind of, it's theologically confusing, the idea of healing. And others of us maybe grew up in the church and we read the Bible and did that really well, but actually we didn't see any healing. So, and so it's theologically confusing in a different way that happened in the Bible, but it didn't happen in life. And so because like there are so many different reactions to this topic of Jesus as healer, I just, we're going to be very clear today in our points. Sometimes I like to be, or we like to be poetic and interesting in our points. So like when the points come up, you're like, ooh, tell me more about that one. We're not doing that today. We're being incredibly simple and bare bones because we want to be incredibly clear. And so all of the points will begin with healing is, describing what healing is. And the first is that healing is Jesus' mission. Healing is Jesus' mission. Everyone that hopes to bring change or to offer leadership that would usher in something new and significant um, has a mission. They come with a mission. You know, a woman gets hired to lead an organization or a company because, like, she's the one that can help kind of turn this toxic culture into a family, into what it feels like a family. Somebody gets hired to lead a company so that they can expand the market share or raise the profit, or somebody gets elected into office because there's this gaping need in the city or the state or the country and enough people to elect that person. Uh, think that that person will help because of their mission that's clear. When we moved to Tacoma, my family and a couple other people, like people would ask, oh, you're planting a church. And if they knew like what that meant to plant a church, then they would ask another question like, so like, what's your mission? Like, what are you going to do? Like, what do you care about? And we found out very early that we had to like get an elevator pitch version of our mission because if you do 30 minutes with everyone, people just start walking away. They're just, it's like, I'm very bored right now. This is, this, you're going to have to do better next time. And so we just wrote it on the wall as you walk in the church, you know, so we don't have to have that conversation anymore. We can just point to the wall. We are a community of imperfect Jesus followers living for the good. But everybody that seeks to bring some type of change ends up, they come in with a mission. And Jesus came with a mission. He was born, took on human flesh, and lived among us for a mission, for a purpose. And you could say that is because of the cross and the empty tomb that he sought to bring reconciliation between a broken humanity and a holy God through his own sacrifice. And yes, absolutely true. But there is another component of that that we'll see in the text that Jesus' mission is healing. Chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 reads like this. 
When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. It's like Matthew is saying, like Isaiah wrote this a long time ago. Jesus is fulfilling it. Isaiah was actually talking about Jesus. Hundreds of years before the manger, Isaiah was talking about Jesus and Jesus is doing his mission, what Isaiah said about him. This is his mission to bring healing. When you look at like the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Bible, and you look through it and you see all different leaders and all the prophets and all the people that kind of stand out on the highlight reel of the Old Testament, you know, Elijah and David and, and all of these people, and you look at like any healing that was connected to their life and ministry, and then you compare it to Jesus, Jesus dwarfs them 10 times over. This is interesting. It's like Jesus came to heal. He came to bring healing. And then if you like expand the circle one more and you look outside of the Bible and you look to like other world religions and it's like interesting because like, like you know, like different, different religious leaders, Muhammad and Buddha, they, they had things that they were trying to do, but Jesus was unique in, in many ways. But one of the ways that Jesus was unique is that Jesus kept on healing people. It's fascinating. Jesus's mission is to heal. This is very, very important because Jesus and healing are like connected. It's not like Jesus is just like Spider-Man or Thor and his healing power or his power is to heal. And that's like what his role is on the Avengers. That's not like what Jesus is about. That's not what's happening. Jesus and healing are connected together. It's his mission. What happened right before the passage I read is what's called typically the Sermon on the Mount. The most quoted, the most known parts of Jesus's teaching, the most downloaded sermon on iTunes. And, uh, you know, Jesus says things in there like, you know, if somebody slaps your cheek, turn the other cheek. Somebody, you know, says, hey, would you walk with me for a mile? Go two miles. Somebody asks for a coat, give him your shirt. He talks about, you know, what it looks like to live and, and follow Jesus and, 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 and practice this thing called the kingdom of God in this world. This is what Jesus talks about in the the Sermon on the Mount, you could say the Sermon on the Mount are the ethics of the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, the very next thing after the Sermon on the Mount is he walks down the hill and he starts healing people. It's almost like he spent this time declaring the kingdom of God and now he is demonstrating the kingdom of God. There is a declaration and now there is a demonstration. Healing is Jesus' mission. What's significant about this is that like, it's important to understand it's Jesus' mission because when you think about like history like from like the scripture's perspective and maybe if you're new to scripture, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, this could be a helpful way to kind of remember some of the sweeping themes. The Bible begins with God creating everything and it's good. He's like, this is so good. It says it over and over again. And then sin interrupts this goodness. It damages the goodness. 
And it affects everything. Sin affects relationships. It affects work. It affects the environment. It affects our bodies because sickness and and illnesses were not something a part of God's original creation. So it's part of this uh, cancer called sin. It's woven its way into every aspect of creation. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he is doing away with the effects of sin and demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like, though it's in the future in its ultimate form, but it's expressed here in this everyday world by Jesus taking away the effects of sin and showing what God's heart is for his good creation. Uh, This theologian named Jürgen Moltmann, which I'm sure is a household name and you've probably used at breakfast this morning around the family, around the table, Um, he says it like this, and I think this is so significant. He says, Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. What what Moltmann is saying there, he's saying that that the actual natural state, the original state of God's creation is, is unhindered by sin. And so what Jesus is doing there, he's setting the world to right. The kingdom of God looks like someone healed. Like I, I believe a couple things here. I've got some convictions. You can't be an actual Jesus follower without understanding him as your savior. It just, it, it doesn't work. You, if, that's why we, we talked about in our first week. You, you can't be a Jesus follower unless you, are, unless you realize you're in need of rescue. It begins there. You are in need of rescue. He's the rescuer. You are in need of saving. He's the savior. That's like you can't have an actual relationship with the real Jesus without that. That's the premise. And it goes on. I also believe you can't be in an actual maturing relationship without Jesus as your sanctifier. Meaning that if you walk with Jesus over time, he makes you look more like him if he were you by the power of the spirit. So the world sees significant change over long periods of time and it's like, wow, what is happening to this person? They're being transformed. And I believe this as well, that you can't be an actual maturing Jesus follower without understanding him as your healer. Which gets us to this next point. Healing is holistic. Healing is holistic. In the first century world, a leper, like we encounter in the, in the first bit of the passage we read, um, had certain parameters and rules and regulations around how they were to act. In fact, if they uh, were to come within like a, a small distance from somebody else, it literally says in Leviticus that they had to dishevel their hair, wear some scrubby clothes. That's not the Bible's word. It's my interpretation. Wear some scrubby clothes and yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. Can you like just... Imagine that, the mental and emotional toll that would take, where you just literally, your relationship with people is yelling, I'm unclean, look how scrubby I look, stay away, I don't want to, I can't, I literally, religiously can't be in relationship with you. I mean, like, think about this. What it does to, like, relationships There's nowhere to go when the next festival is coming. You're not going to your family's house. You gotta stay away. 
There's nowhere to work when Monday comes. You, there's no, no money coming your way except through maybe charity. And um, then there's the emotional weight of literally yelling at people, get away from me. I don't, you can't, I, you, I don't want you sick. Stay away, stay away, stay away. And like, that's not just like, oh, a passing thing, but it's like your life where it drops all the way down into the level of identity after maybe the thousandth, thousandth time of saying it. But then there's also the spiritual element. You can't go to temple to offer sacrifices to be and worship God because that means you're around people and you're ritually unclean. So you have to stay in this place all by yourself. And then a guy heals you. Healing is holistic. Jesus' healing is holistic. You see how Jesus actually touches the guy? Isn't that curious? Jesus, it says, he reached out and he touched him. I wonder when the last time that he was touched. When was the last time he was physically touched? And Jesus probably has a suspicion. And so he reaches out and says, I, I'm, I'm actually going to touch you. I'm going to physically touch you. And all of a sudden, this guy is healed. And so he's able to go to temple. He's able to go to his family's house. He's able to take a job. He's able to not have to interact with people around the unclean, unclean, unclean. He can be in relationship with other people. You see, Jesus' healings are emotionally, he does emotional healings, relational healings. He does socioeconomic healings and spiritual healings. He doesn't limit it to just one type of healing. He is a holistic healer and he still is a holistic healer. The, the centurion, the very next one. Centurions are a sign like of, of like they are the militaristic, imperialistic pigs in their infiltrating and implicated in the subjugation of God's people. So the Jews hated them, and understandably so. But then there's this one that goes up to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't dismiss him. He listens to him. And then later on, it says, turning aside to his disciples, he goes, you know, I haven't actually met somebody with this faith in all of Israel. And the disciples are like, but I have faith. What about me? You know? And this centurion who considers himself an outsider, he says, I'm not worthy actually for you to come into my home. He considers himself a religious outsider. Jesus says, you are actually gonna be at the table. And people that thought they were at the table, you have their spot. Because of your faith. Jesus is a holistic healer. To the excluded, he includes. And then the third one is this Peter's mother-in-law. Who, I don't know why she didn't raise her hand and ask for healing. Or why Peter didn't say, hey, my mom, my, you just spent the whole day healing people. My mother-in-law has a little fear. You know, we don't know why. Maybe it had something to do with her being a woman in the first century. I'm not sure. But what Jesus does is he sees her. And in seeing her and healing her, he raises the value up on her in the presence of all his disciples. Jesus is a holistic healer. In fact, the Hebrew word for healer or healing is rafa. Now, the New Testament is written in Greek, but the 
Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament is written in, in Hebrew. And so the Hebrew kind of words occupy the mental and imaginative landscape of the New Testament writers. And the word rafa is a word that would have been uh, the, the idea Jesus had of what healing is. Now, if you, if you look at rafa in the Old Testament, you'll find that it's used to describe all sorts of healings. There's a house that gets dilapidated. It needs rafa. You know, there's a, a family that needs, uh, that is broken. It needs rafa. And what you'll find is, is that rafa is actually God's way of setting things to what they should, were in the garden. And it's this holistic sweeping word used to describe all sorts of types of healing. Jesus did not consign healing to just physicality. He just all, he, it was part of what he saw. Healing was holistic all the time. This is Jesus's understanding of what healing is. Now, I mentioned in the last point that you cannot have an actual deepening, maturing relationship without understanding Jesus as your healer. And I didn't say that because I just thought it was a propositional truth, kind of an abstract truth that I just kind of like believe in because it seems rational. No, I, 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 that is true, but I also believe it because I, it's an experienced reality for me. Now, I want to be totally honest and transparent here. I have not personally experienced physical, like miraculous, instantaneous healing. I haven't been able to, I haven't experienced that. I've wanted, I've prayed it for myself. I've had other people pray it for me. I have not personally experienced it. I have friends that have. I know people in the anchor community that have. I, I just personally haven't experienced it. But I have still experienced Jesus as my healer. Why? Because healing is holistic. I remember uh, when I came to faith, the end of my senior year in high school, it was almost as if the Holy Spirit was alerting me to this stuff that had been keeping me in chains and I just thought it was normal. I'd been living my life kind of emotionally crippled, slipping into codependencies and insecurities to kind of like manage my relational life. And when I came to faith in Jesus, it was like almost as if like he was said to the centurion, do you, do you want that to be healed? I remember early on um, in my faith, I was a freshman in college and I was hanging out with Mia Jensen. She, it was 2 a.m. She was on her third cigarette or something and, and I wasn't smoking because I was a Christian. And, and, um, and I remember I told her, um, I was like, I don't think I'm ever gonna get married you know, my, my mom's been, had all these, had multiple marriages, and I think that I, I'm kind of nervous that that would be the case for me, so I'm, I'm just not, I'm probably just not gonna, gonna get married. And it's just so cool to see Jesus healing that. Like, I, Jesus is a holistic healer. It's almost like, oh, there's a little wound, oh, there's another part of your story that's not healed yet. Can I heal that too? Oh, that's another little mark of something that's, that's, that's a chain that you didn't even know was there. Can I break that one too? Jesus is a holistic healer. For some of us, it, we may experience it physical healing and we should hunger for that. For others of us, we might experience emotional healing. Let me just say like, since then, I've had, worked with counselors and friends and it's been awesome to see God work through them. But who began the work, that healing work? It was Jesus. And a T 
teenage boy named Brian. Jesus is a holistic healer. If you walk with Jesus for long enough, you will find his healing touch in every area of your life. But also, healing is not formulaic. It's not formulaic. You see, check it out. In this passage of scripture that we read, we see a man approach Jesus and ask for healing. He actually says he gets on his knees and he says, hey, would you heal me? Jesus heals him with a touch, as we talked about. But then the very next healing story is the centurion saying, no, I actually don't want you to come to my house because I'm not worthy. Just say, the, just say the word. And Jesus heals by a word a person that he hasn't met and we don't know what his faith even actually looks like. And then the third story is of Peter's mother-in-law who doesn't even get a word in edgewise and she's all of a sudden healed. It's not like there is this cookie cutter that we can employ to how Jesus heals. Jesus' healings are not formulaic. You cannot make a formula out of it. You can make a formula out of video games. Up, down, left, right, hold, A, start. Hadouken! You know, you can do that. And um, you can do a formula for chemistry, right? Put this and this together and you have an explosion. Um, you can do a formula for math problems, pi r squared. Don't ask me much more than that. Um, but there's not a formula for healing. Don't get me wrong, there are essential elements. There are some patterns. You know, James talks about getting the elders together, anoint with oil, which was a, a thing used for healing medicinally in the first century and still today. Um, and, and pray over them because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There's, but I wouldn't say that's a formula, that's a pattern, right? It's like a little, to be honest, a little frustrating. Wouldn't it be great if there was a formula, up, down, left, right, whole day, start, healed. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Would be great. Here's why God doesn't do it. He's not a video game. He's not a math problem. He's not a chemical reaction. He is a personal God. And he resists the temptation to give us a formula that will solve all of our healing needs because if we had a formula, we wouldn't need God. His disposition is to always and forever heal. But sometimes that healing doesn't happen in our preferred way or on a preferred time. Here's an example. Paul in the New Testament, a guy who gets lots of airplay in the New Testament, who wrote actually much of the New Testament, to the Corinthian church in the second Corinthians, at the end of the book, he's writing and he's sharing his heart and he goes, I have got this thorn in my side. We don't know what it is. And usually most of the people that guess end up revealing more about themselves than about Paul. We don't know what it is. He says, I've got this thorn in my side. I've prayed over and over again for God to take it away. And you know what he says? He just keeps on saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, I'm actually, he's, he's doing this because he, he's healing me of my pride. You see, I've healed, I've, or I've seen so much. I've seen people healed. I've seen cities get changed. I've seen riots and revivals happen because I just preached the name of Jesus and it would be very easy for me to think that I'm a big deal, but I'm really just a servant in the house of a king and to keep me from believing that I'm a big deal, I've got this little thorn here to heal me of my pride. So everywhere I go, there's a little bit of limp 
there's a little bit of awareness that I'm not as a big deal as I would think I was if I didn't have that thing right there. God is healing me of my pride. Jesus is invested in your healing, but it's holistic and it's not formulaic, which means it's not completely in our control. As Jesus followers, and I'm saying this here at Anchor, we have to hold these two things in tension. They're incredibly important. This expectant faith that believes that God can move in a moment. He can do in a second what we would think would be a thousand years. He can do it and it's done and we can praise and it's amazing. We have to hold this expectant faith that God can move miraculously. And on the other hand, we have to hold this deep appreciation and reverence for mystery. When we hold one thing but not the other, we lose out on what maturity looks like as we walk with Jesus. Deep expectancy and reverence and appreciation for mystery is a recipe for spiritual maturity. I hope that's true of us here, Anchor. That we grow in that. Why would we not on one hand, hunger for God to be all of God and work as powerfully as he can. Why would we stop hungering for that? Why would we let the world tamp down our expectations? And also, why would we forget that life is mysterious and God is mysterious and this thing sometimes is mysterious? As Jesus followers, we hold these two things together. Last point is this, healing is available for you. Healing is available for you. I was thinking through this as, as I prepared, you know, like, there's three reasons why I think that people wouldn't ask for healing. Um, first is maybe we just don't believe. There's like followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus. Maybe we just don't have, we don't believe. I remember um, years ago, I was reading this book called The Meaning of Jesus written by um, a New Testament scholar, historian that I adore, N.T. Wright, and somebody named Marcus Borg, who I don't like that much. Um, <laughs> I'll just be honest. Um, um, Marcus Borg was largely trying to dismiss most of what Jesus did in the New Testament uh, and, or water it down so it doesn't even look like something recorded in the New Testament. And N.T. Wright, this notable um, Bible scholar, was, was actually saying, no, actually there's compelling reasons why we ha- should trust the scriptures. Um, I remember really underlining N.T. Wright and kind of thumbing my nose at Marcus Borg as I read this through this book. And I got to the, a chapter on healing. And I just expected to do the same thing. I expected to kind of thumb my nose at Marcus Borg and cheer on, yeah, and he right. Um, and then I got to it, and Marcus Borg, this guy who was largely dismissing most of what Jesus did in the New Testament, was actually saying, no, actually, here's, I agree with N.T. Wright on this one. I do believe Jesus brought, I just, he, he, he healed people. And I'm like, wait. He says, yeah, there's just documented cases of people being healed in powerful ways and Jesus is the most important person in history. So I I guess I can accept that he did a lot of these healings. And so I was like, there I was at a place where I'm like, how much do I really believe he? And I'm like, oh, he believes it. (laughs) Challenge accepted. So I just, I want to understand, I want to be sympathetic to people who have a hard time believing, but I want to just say that like, just like there's documented cases, dare to believe. I think there's another reason we don't believe is that we just, it's much more probably common. So we just, we just think how, 
God wouldn't be concerned with me. It's hard for me to imagine God concerned with me. I just want to say he is. He is. Maybe we're too proud to ask. There's a level of humility that's required in asking, especially in America, in our moment, like to say, hey, I am in need of healing means that I can't, I don't have it all locked down by myself. And that means that I, like, it's like I have to, to admit that is, can be scary depending on your personality type and your family of origin. And it like just being in America in this moment, it is, can be a scary thing. I just want to say like, how is that pride working for you? The third thing I can imagine is just a fear of vulnerability. Each of these things are understandable, but we don't want to stay there as Jesus followers. We don't want to stay in that spot. We want to move through that spot. We want to know and name that and say, take a step. Here's, check it out. Because look, look in the, the, the first healing, like Jesus says, he, the guy comes to him. He's kneeling down. And Jesus, as a rabbi, would have every right to be like, get away from me, dude. Go read Leviticus. You know, but Jesus says, I am willing. And he hasn't stopped saying that. He hasn't stopped saying, I am willing. He keeps saying it. He's here, this is my need. He says, I am willing. He keeps saying that. To the next person the centurion, he doesn't even ask. And Jesus, like, you know, he, he's like, well, okay, should I come and heal him? And to Peter's mother-in-law, he, he, he says he saw. Everybody else walked past. Jesus saw him, saw her. He saw her. He was paying attention. Jesus is interested and invested in your healing. Non-formulaic, uh, holistic, but he is invested in your healing. Healing is available for you. So let me just say, the God, so check this out. The God of the universe sends his son to save and to sanctify, but also to heal. And why would any of us that call on the name of Jesus not lean in to that beautiful mystery that is a signpost of God's kingdom coming right here in this present moment. Why would we hold God at a distance? Why? Don't let the pride or the lack of belief or the fear of vulnerability keep you from taking the step towards the one who is our healer. I invite the band to come up. Um, and I just want to, as the band comes up, um, talk about some opportunities just even right now. And I know in a room like this, there's people that come with all different experiences with church as we kind of named at the beginning. There's some of us that come not knowing where we are at with our faith. And I just want to say, if you are here in the room, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad. And I would invite you to keep considering and, and showing interest and, and learning about Jesus. And some of us who are burned out on religion, but would still, still trying to figure out what our faith looks like in Jesus. And some of us, you know, we're all over the map, but I just would give this invitation. If you felt your shoulder tapped in the last few minutes of doing this, come forward to each of these sides of the building and just say, I'm here for healing. It might be an emotional thing. It might be a relationship that needs healing. It might be a physical thing. It might be just kind of a mental kind of like cul-de-sac, you know, of like you can't get out of this kind of like frame of mind that you just need healing. But come to the healer. 
Ask for healing. There's people that want to pray for you on both sides of the wall. Take advantage of this next moment that we have here. Before the doors open, we head to our cars. Take advantage of this moment. And then every week we do communion because Jesus said, as long as you hang out with each other, as long as you gather together, you know, take, take, the, my, take this bread. The bread's like, it's my body. It's given for you. And he said, the cup, is just my blood. It's shed for you. So the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. As long as you do this to, be reminded that my love is rich and it's aimed at you and it's because of my sacrifice that you can be brought near. So with these little elements, we're reminded of God's love has, is aimed at us. Maybe if you're not a Jesus follower, maybe today could be the day and you could just take that communion and say, this is me saying yes to the God who is sacrificial and love. And as we step into this next song and opportunities for prayer and for communion, I just want to pray over us. So you might just close your eyes. You can stand up if you want to, or you can sit, whatever you want. But Spirit of the living God, Holy Spirit, would you come in this place? Sneak past our defenses. Sneak past our, our, our nervousness. For those with tight shoulders and, and kind of anxious energy, would you come speak a calming word to us? For those of us that are afraid and, and want to step towards prayer but are unsure, would you bring a word of confidence to us? Would you be the peace in this room? Would you give a vision of yourself to us that we can hold onto through the week that we would understand you as the God who wants to be so near to heal the hidden parts, the visible parts that we might hear you say even to us, I am willing.